Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. You are listening to Tennis Channel Live, the podcast on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We've got the game, the names, and the insight you need to stay covered on all the courts. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Tennis Channel Live podcast on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. A somber mood in the world of sports this week as practically every major sporting event for the foreseeable future has been canceled due to the worldwide coronavirus pandemic. The outbreak was first felt in the tennis world with the cancellation of Indian Wells, a mere hours before qualifying for the event was set to begin. Since that announcement, the ATP and ITF have issued a six-week shutdown of all their events, and the WTA has filed suit canceling four tournaments. John Wertheim joined Steve Weissman on TC Live to discuss the ramifications of the shutdown and what the coronavirus outbreak means for the sport and country going forward. We are going to welcome back in John Wertheim from Sports Illustrated 60 Minutes and, of course, Tennis Channel to talk about all this. John, welcome back. Since the last time we spoke, a lot has changed. What's your reaction to the last 24 hours? Was it only 24 hours ago? I mean, this is the rare time when events may be going even faster than the news cycle. And, boy, uh, everyone's scrambling right now. I mean, we are just in uncharted terrain, and people are making decisions on the fly, and we see how profoundly the sports world is impacted. In the last 24 hours, what we've had are athletes that now have tested positive. That's a big difference. That's a pivot point, and that's why the NBA right now is suspended, Steve. Tennis specifically, we heard the news from the ATP this morning. They are suspending play for the next six weeks. What do you make of that decision? You know, it's interesting, Steve. Over the weekend, I heard that players wanted Indian Wells to continue on, even if it was behind closed doors, even if there were no fans, let's hold the tournament. In a few days later, I heard it was the players that was really driving this decision to suspend tennis. And I think the players are realizing, look, we travel, we are on planes probably more than any other athlete in the world. We share one locker room. All it takes is for one coach, one parent, one stringer to have an infection, and suddenly we all are coming down with this. I mean, now that the travel ban went into play on Wednesday night, it really was fait accompli. Um, again, we will have a six-month, a six-week pause. The players will have to scramble and figure out how to spend these next six weeks, and we hope that we will have tennis after that but right now pump the brakes so john that's the atp saying suspended for six weeks the itf has come out they're saying suspended through april 20th we have not heard so far from the wta we always talk about the need for a tennis commissioner a governing body somebody to put all these groups together what do you make of the fact that the atp and wta have not come out together with a joint statement yeah, as, as you say, it shows something other than unity. I mean, it's very hard to imagine that the women are going to continue, but the men are not. I mean, one thing that I would stress is that a lot of this is embedded in contractual language, and there are insurance policies that have to be considered. And are the players stopping or the tours stopping or the individual events stopping? I mean, there's a lot that has to be 
negotiated. Obviously, the two tours, to some extent, have, have different events, different promoters. It would have been nice if there had been a statement to cover all of tennis, especially at a time when we are asking for unity. And yet, I, I cannot imagine that the women are not going to follow suit. The idea that the men would take this six-week hiatus and the women wouldn't is really not realistic. John, as we know, there's different levels of players. I mean, at the top of the ATP, there's guys that make hundreds of millions of dollars. They can not work and be fine. There are also players that use this as their livelihood, and they need this money from tournaments. Uh, how are different types of players dealing with this right now? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and social media gives us some indication of that. But I've, I've heard everything from, you're right, that the top players who are fortunate enough to have the means, they, they've earned that, let's be clear, but they're having a much easier time getting home. They are not in scramble mode. Other players I've heard, especially that aren't in the U.S. and are, that are in the U.S. now but aren't from here, they don't know whether they can get back to their home countries. I've heard of players calling academies in Florida and saying, listen, can you cut me a deal for the next few weeks, can I come to Florida and train? You see a lot of players that are either scrambling to get to the airport and beat this travel ban, or else they're trying to be creative and figure out, what am I going to do for the next six weeks here, especially if I can't cross an ocean? So very different responses from players at different ends of the spectrum, as you say, Steve. Yeah, very tough situation. Overall, John, where do you think tennis stacks up with other sports in terms of its response so far to the coronavirus? Yeah, I think you have to consider tennis, that, right, they're not guaranteed contracts. These players, you, you eat what you kill, so the players have to go out there. They're really taking a financial hit. You have to look at these as two tours, but also a series of individual events. And the promoter in Country X might have a much different set of priorities. He might have a much different insurance policy than another promoter. Players are spending a lot of time on planes. They are not flying privately as, say, NBA teams are. And I think that is a big factor here, too. I think these players really thought about this and said, wait a second, I'm supposed to get on a plane once a week. I don't know who I'm sitting next to. I don't know who my colleagues are sitting next to. And then we're all supposed to come to the same locker room. That's a recipe for disaster. I give the players a lot of credit here, Steve. I think they've also come to this conclusion that, look, we need to have this abundance of caution. We need to think long-term, and we're going to put aside some short-term economic gain to really think about what's the best course of action. I, I think overall the players have behaved very responsibly. Yeah, as we've seen in soccer, as we've seen in the NBA, once the players get it, the, the concept of not mm -hmm. having fans as a tournament doesn't matter anymore because this can be passed from person to person. Uh, what do you think are the next steps? I mean, six weeks, uh, could this go longer? Could, could this uh, affect our next major championships? We know nothing. I mean, this is absolutely unprecedented. And we've had other crises in the past, and we have other uh, unexpected. I mean, you look at insurance policies, and you look at they have clauses in there for terrorism. They have clauses in there for fires. This is completely unprecedented. You hope that eventually, to, to use the voguish phrase, we hope this curve will flatten. We look at some countries, Singapore, South Korea, that have done a good job of containing this, and we hope that we reach this point. But right now, on you know, the, the second Thursday in March, who knows? It would be wonderful if six weeks from now we got back to our lives and we saw this curve go down and we could play the French Open and get on with things. But I just feel like right now we all need to respect the unknown because we are in a place right now where no one knows what's coming next. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. 
Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Tennis Channel Live was fortunate to be joined by Taylor Fritz in studio this week. The young American is a native of California and ranked a career-high 24th in the world. Coming off his first ATP 500-level final in Acapulco, Mexico, and though he lost to Rafael Nadal, the 22-year-old is still playing his best tennis and looking forward to returning to the court. Taylor Fritz joins Paul Anacone, Tracy Austin, and Steve Weissman on TC Live to discuss his reaction to the cancellation of the upcoming tennis events, what his schedule will look like going forward, and his experience representing the United States in the recent Davis Cup qualifying round. We say aloha to our man Taylor Fritz in the house. Welcome to uh, t Tennis Channel Live, Tennis Channel Studios. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Um, what was your reaction when you found out that the ATP would be suspending play for the next six weeks? Well, I mean, we kind of uh, saw it coming, but I mean, I'm still just so like, you know, unsure of kind of what to do because it's like you never get really time off playing tennis, so you're not used to having uh, just six weeks to just do whatever, you know, so it's it's kind of like a shock. Yeah, it's a shock. Got to the finals of Acapulco, career high 24, and now all of a sudden, boom. Six weeks off. Have you talked to Paul about what you're going to do? During That's why he's here. We're going to decide right, right now. now. Let's Next discuss it. What the, Let us in. David Nankin and Brent Salazar and Wolf, uh, mm -hmm. his team, and I are all and Taylor are going to chat a little bit later. And no, but what will you do for six weeks? His video just, games. Is yeah. <laughs> far, I mean, you'll hang in L.A. Right? I think so. Probably. You know, uh, probably just take a little bit of time off. I'm sure after a couple days, like not even a week, I'm going to want to start. Uh, practicing again I don't like really doing nothing for too long so you know we'll come up with a plan probably more gym stuff than than tennis at first and kind of just get back into it and we'll Almost see like an off season yeah long even longer than off season we'll see if it actually is going to be six weeks because you know the tournament that the first tournament back after six weeks is meant to be Rome so that's still up in the air of course so we'll see yeah it's, it's a tough time I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um the process with all the players and stuff. What did you guys do? Did you guys, were you guys on a chat? How did you guys mm -hmm. talk to each, look, you know you have the council, but then the other general membership stuff, how did you guys keep track of what was happening? Uh, well, you know, the way, the way we all stayed updated kind of was just um, through this just massive group chat we have on, um, on WhatsApp with all the players pretty much. And so we were all just talking uh, and a lot of the guys from the council kind of just came in and said, this is what we're thinking of doing. Um, can you guys vote? Yes, we keep playing. No, and it was a lot. Yesterday was like a lot of back and forth. Uh, some people saying we should play without fans. Some people, most majority players saying we should uh, just call it, you know. And the points I was making, well, like, look, if we go to a lot of these places and play, like, even with no fans, it's only a matter of time until a player gets it. Then you can't play for a couple weeks and other players get it. And, like, we all know we're all probably, you know, we, we're healthy, so... Uh, we probably wouldn't be impacted too much, but it's about who, you know, we can pass it to. And then also, you end up not playing for a couple of weeks. The tour is not even really the tour when right. half the players are have the flu and can't play. So. Did, it, did it feel different to you last night at all when you heard that an NBA player got it as a player? Did that make a difference to you? Did it feel any different? Uh, a little bit that, you know, uh, athletes are getting it. But I'm sure, I'm sure he'll be, you know, I'm sure he'll be okay. But it's, you got to think about 
the potential people that you're spreading it to that, that might not be able to uh, uh, handle it. So that's, you know, that's at the end of the day what's most important. There were soccer players in Europe that got it as well. We're here with Taylor Fritz, American ranked 24 in the world right now. As you're going back and forth in these conversations, I mean, I was seeing tweets on my timeline, Taylor, that some players did not know what was going on. They saw a picture of Novak Djokovic, who was on a plane with his team, and wondering, well, why is he leaving? I haven't heard what's happening. So who, who exactly, I mean, is it the top 100 that's on that list? Who's not on that list? Uh, I mean, it definitely could be um, updated. I think there's some maybe players that kind of recently got in the top 100 that aren't in there, and some players that have dropped out that are, are in there. So, but I'd say, I mean, it was made earlier, like probably made uh, a year and a half ago, but um, when we were kind of trying to get this player union type thing together. So um, I think, Novak left though before we discussed anything because I think he was just either way not going to play the tournaments. So before we came to a decision that it was going to be canceled for six weeks, um, I believe he already made a personal decision that he's he's out. So uh, I know the player council talked though, and they let us know they let us know yesterday that you know after we all kind of voted on it that it was going to be canceled. Was this a, a unanimous decision? Did it have to be you know sixty percent? What what goes into that? Uh, we kind of just went with majority, and then, you know, we have to leave it up to the council to kind of, uh, I don't know, take care of it. You know, that's who we've elected to kind of make these type of decisions for us. So they listen to the majority and then also take into account what I think they think was uh, was best. So there's... I, I, I want to segue a little bit into the Davis Cup thing, if you guys... I want to say, because I'm very interested, because one of the things that's intrigued me so much is your friendship with Tommy and Riley and a new young group of guys in Hawaii with, with uh, Captain Marty Fish there and, and your coach, too, David Nankin, as the coach of the team. How does the Davis Cup format and how does that team environment affect you as a player? Uh, hmm. I didn't mean to stump you this early. I mean, I'm still going to go out and play. Like, yeah. normally, I think it's, it's more just, fun, though, with your friends? Yeah, instead of an individual sport, now you've got Tommy and Riley right there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're always with me at the tournaments anyway. So <laughs> like, but now, but, right there. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, there's definitely, like, added pressure playing for a team, which I like. Is I it like. different feeling? Yeah. Different kind of pressure? Yeah, for sure. You, you don't want to mess it up for the team, you know? <laughs> but, or the uh, U.S., the whole United yeah. States. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, uh... No, it's definitely like more uh, just fun kind of having them there and the team environment's really cool. But uh, yeah, a little bit more pressure, which I like. And then uh, it's easy to get like more pumped up because of the, uh, I don't know, you got, you're playing for other people. It's like, a, it's a bigger thing. So, you know, it's just, you know, we're excited for Madrid now. Uh, got your fifth final in Acapulco. That got you up 11 spots to 24 in the world. That's a career high. You got one of your coaches beside you right here. What is going well for you? What has contributed to put you at the highest level you've been at in your career? Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's just maybe like a combination of uh, working hard, doing a lot of like consistent uh, gym work, like getting stronger. Um, I felt like in Acapulco, my body felt fine the whole tournament, which is not typically normal. After a couple of matches, I usually get pretty, uh, pretty sore or like beaten up. So I felt like after the term I felt fine and staying healthy is a big part of it. I think, you know, I've, I've dealt with a good amount of like, you know, injuries here and there. So kind of just being able to like stay healthy and uh, keep like building off the work I've been doing has been making a difference. You know, we talk about the gym stuff a lot with Taylor and we also talk about the tennis stuff. And for our viewers at home, you know how much I like to talk about the tennis and categorizing 
styles mm -hmm. of play. Like, where are you now with your style of play, and what do you see the next phases, tennis-wise, to work on? I mean, we have this argument all the time. <laughs> we don't argue. <laughs> look, look there's our, there, we're, we're not arguing. Well, so we're what's very the happy. Well, I think I need to work on. I think I need to work on things like making my forehand a bigger weapon and like being just like, it's it's like a strength of mine. But I want to get it even better to where if I get that that mid court ball, like the point's over. And I think I make too many errors sometimes. I think I sometimes let people back in the point too much. Paul wants to work on the transition a lot more, uh, which I agree I need to work on. But I don't think it's like my. It's not the foundation of your It's game. not the foundation of my game. We so agree think, on that, right? I think I need huh? to, yeah. A little pound for that? <laughs> think, he wants you to add it to See, Kathy, we yeah, agree we've, sometimes. We've, we've been working on adding it, I think, but I think I really need to uh, uh, work on what uh, makes me good and, like, kind of get better at finishing the points because I think when you play, like, the best guys who are just faster, you need just a really, really big weapon in, in order to uh, Yeah, I think that forehand's points. a big weapon. I want to ask you, Tyke, you two, since you're both here, and we rarely multiple have Multiple choice. I need multiple choice. You, you don't get multiple okay. choice. So at the beginning of the season or in the off season, do you guys sit down and actually make a game plan of we want to practice this, we want this yeah. to get better, we want to get this far numerically? Is is it is it anything numerically as far as rank this high or this far in a Grand Slam? What are kind of goals? We don't really talk too much about the the rankings. I'd mm -hmm. say like Paul, you know, Paul always just wants to to focus on like getting better and like improving things and rankings will come. The rank exactly. I I'm definitely more of a numbers person. I start thinking about rankings and stuff like that, but. Um, it's also kind of like my job to do that, so. <laughs> yeah, you know, Taylor, I've known you since you were 10. Yeah. I played doubles at the US Open with his mom, um, so Kathy May. Um, but one thing that I was always impressed from the get-go was your mentality, your mental strength. So I'm gonna go back to that Isner match, the semifinals of Acapulco. You're down a, a set and a break, 4-2. I think it was Love 40 as well. So one more point, and mm -hmm. you're gonna go down, you know, double break in that second set. What is it? Tell the tennis channel viewers out there what a Taylor Fritz thinks specifically be specific at that time Six, two, because that four, can help two, them. Love 40. What's yeah. th this particular match was a bit different than normal when I'm trying to like fight back because I mean <laughs> I, to be honest I was like I'm, I'm about to lose 6-2 six, six. Like, I was like I'm about oh, to lose 2-2. Oh come two. on don't tell us that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was 6-2. Did two, that free four, you up maybe? 2-4 Love 40 I'm like I'm about to lose 2-2 two and two. but I just kind of told myself uh, I have to take care of what I like can take care of, just try and get this hold out and keep it to one break. Cause I mean, one break you're probably gonna lose anyway against John, but two breaks you're definitely, it's definitely over, so. Well, how do you stay positive? Because so many players out there, we kind of see them implode and they just fall apart. You pretty much are still grinding every point. You seem like you think you can believe, you believe in yourself. Uh, I mean, you just have to kind of put uh, your opponent you got to make your opponent win the match, really. You know, um, I definitely wasn't too too positive that match because I was I was like I said about to lose two and two um, in a very big match for me in my career. So I just tried to keep it within one break, save those break points. Uh, you just know. in a typical match, though, you just stay positive. You're, you're a great job at that. Yeah, in just a regular match, it's just about. Uh, I mean, Paul knows in practice, I'll I'll completely lose it. You know, I. <laughs> <laughs> What does that mean? Lose it. Throw your racket? What does that mean? I mean, snap a couple rackets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scream, cuss, you know, whatever. Like, I, I get very frustrated because I, I, I want to do everything, uh, like, Perfect. right. Yeah, I'm extremely uh, perfectionist. He's perfectionist. He's perfectionist. So. One of the things that he's done really well, 
David Nankin, who coaches him with me and basically leads me, has been with him for five years. David understands Taylor top to bottom really well, knows which buttons to push and how to get him back into that mindset. But Tracy, you're right. Great point-for-point point mentality, great sense of urgency, and to me, that leads the rest. When you have that, you're much more likely to maximize your talent. Yeah, with, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, when I play matches, I know I can't get like that because it's going to just yeah. mess me up. So in matches, I just know I need to stay calm because I know that's going to give me the best chance of, of winning and figuring things out. But in practice, yeah, I just kind of Okay, before we wrap, it. this is a question that all the viewers want to know. Your top three video games, and which ones are you best at? Uh, okay. So I mean, there's different types. Don't don't say with emotion. Be very pragmatic. There's, uh, there's different types. So right, there's the ones go. you play on PC, which I'm awful at, but like they have different games, so it's fun. And then there's the console games, which I'm probably the best at. So uh, my best games for sure, FIFA. Really? Yeah. Soccer. Better than Fortnite? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't played Fortnite in a while. Yeah, but when, once you have it, you have it, don't you? No. <laughs> so FIFA, what else? Uh, FIFA is definitely my best one, and then probably like I mean, a year or two ago, I was really good at Fortnite. Kind of stopped playing a bit, and then uh, Call of Duty is probably my next best game. So, so you got six weeks off. By the way, Taylor owns a portion of an esports team, and at esports. But in this coronavirus situation could be all we're watching for the next, you know, month or two. Before I let you go, how many times a day do you hear aggressive shots to conservative targets? I don't hear it that often. See, there we wow. go. See, you guys okay. think I'm all cliche. Sometimes there's other stuff involved. You know, he involved. probably already does it already, so he doesn't need to hear it at all. Don't panic? There you hear go. that? I, I hear don't panic sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I usually just hear come to net a lot. <laughs> that transition game. That's what he yeah. did. Uh, We're going to have to get to the bottom of this, you know. We'll figure it out. We got Coach-player relationship we got going on here. Taylor, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for coming in, making yeah. the drive. Yeah, thanks, thanks, pal. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Team Fritz. Now on the TC Live podcast, we turn our attention to two of the most popular athletes in the game. Novak Djokovic has been on an absolute tear, winning his first 18 matches of 2020, which included the Australian Open and Dubai titles. He's 21-0 dating back to the end of last season, and the Serbian is playing some of the best tennis in his legendary career. And then there's Coco Goff, who is actually celebrating her 16th birthday today. Happy birthday, Coco. Coco Mania continues to sweep over the tennis world as the teenager made a fourth-round Australian Open run, defeating defending champion Naomi Osaka, and made her top 50 debut in the WTA singles rankings. Lindsay Davenport, Tracy Austin, Paul Anacone, and Steve Weissman break down the recent accomplishments and successes of Novak Djokovic and Coco Golf. So he's at 18 right now. He's got two titles, uh, and he won't be playing for the next six weeks. So he will stay perfect no matter what. What do we make to the start of the year for Novak Djokovic? Well, obviously it's perfect. I mean, when Novak is in this mindset, when he is playing this well, when he is healthy, uh, it's so tough to get through him, tough to get around him. He's got offense. He's got defense. He's got the mental toughness, the confidence, even when he was down a match point. Um, the semifinals against Monfils, you just feel like he's going to come up with shots that he needs. It's uh, very difficult, very difficult to see um, anybody beating him on a consistent basis. And it's kind of, it's really too bad because I was thinking maybe Novak could have won the calendar year Grand Slam this year. It's 
possibility. It was interesting. We saw him in November almost in tears when Serbia wasn't able to win Davis Cup. And you thought, oh, gosh, look how much this meant to him, his teammates, his country. And he goes into the offseason. And what does he do, ATP Cup? He was so fired up. He was ready to go. He, when he's emotion, emotional and it means so much to him, he plays his best tennis. He was absolutely rock solid in the ATP Cup, got more confidence and momentum for the Australian Open. And now, I mean, he's, he's really playing for history. I mean, he's playing for the Grand Slams. Everybody thinks that this is going to be a race that goes down to the wire between the three of them. Novak firmly believes that he has something to prove to try and end with the most Grand Slams. That's what he's fired up for. This gives him reason to play for the next few years and a big reason to care. This, this is a big race coming up. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head about the emotions, right? Because some players uh, have emotions and they let those emotions overwhelm them and becomes a detriment. Novak is one of the masters of using the emotion to drive him. You talked about um, having a struggle in the fall when they were unable to win the Davis Cup. He comes back, wins the ATP Cup, and I wondered what was going to happen here in Australia. Would he have a letdown from the ATP Cup because of such a high emotion? He had a little bit of a hiccup in the middle of this match against Dominic Team. but what do great players do? They find ways to settle in. They find ways to get back to do what they do best, and not only does he win this title, he takes the positive emotion, goes to Dubai, saves three match points in the semifinals against Monfils, who had been playing spectacular tennis. And then in this finals, he was unbelievable. So he's ridden the emotional roller coaster so well and been able to manage the pros and cons of those emotions, which has allowed his talents to flourish. You know, I think the great players win when they play average. They don't win when they play average and they get overwhelmed by their emotions. So he is managing all the ingredients in incredibly well nine years after his best season ever in <laughs> 2011 could be matching that once again this year we shall see 15 years old which he's been able to do fourth round of the Australian Open that stood out to me she's like yeah two years ago I lost first round of qualities in juniors and here she is just inside the top 50 just an incredible rise in in the last year and I just love her team they really seem to have a game plan and she seems to understand Two days from being 16, and she's got a long journey. I mean, she could play this game for another couple of decades, and we've seen such great strides from her, so much improvement. Just from the U.S. Open last year has improved her forehand so much, her second serve. Um, you know, she's got that coach traveling with her every single day. So just little, you know, small improvements, and it's very exciting for us to see because she doesn't get to play unlimited amount of tournaments, so didn't get to play Indian Wells. She can now add one. Um, because of the age eligibility rule. Yeah, it's interesting is we've seen a lot of teen phenoms kind of come through. You can kind of get a sense that it becomes real serious real fast. And a lot of times, as Tracy mentioned, it's the team. And, and a lot of times in our sport, it's been unfortunately the father. Mm. Not the case in, in this camp at all. And Coco Golf is out on the practice courts, Indian Wells, 8 a.m. Sunday morning with her dad, with her team. And what are they doing? They're laughing, they're hitting balls, they're doing fun stuff. Like, she still enjoys the process. And a lot of that is due to the people around her, as Tracy said, the team. Her dad keeps it fun, he keeps it light. He tries to keep her relaxed when he comes on court for coaching visits. That's the reason why, in my opinion, she's gonna stay in the game. It doesn't matter if she plays 12 tournaments, 13 tournaments, 15 tournaments a year. It's, it's the seriousness that overtakes the team. And I don't see that problem happening with her. It's, it's really interesting because, Tracy, you probably know better than all of us what it's like to try to do something at that magnitude at that age, right? It's so complicated in today's world, even more so, social media and everything else. And 
Last summer when I got to chat with Corey Goff at Washington, I was so impressed with his macro vision. You know, he's not really a tennis person, he's a sports person, but he said all the right things as we heard in those clips too. He's all about big picture, getting better, having fun while she does it, and just understanding that it really is a journey. You know, there really isn't a destination because no matter where you are at the moment, you're going someplace else the next moment. And, and he really gets that, and I think it drives the great talent that is Coco Goff. And um, with her, it's really not just a matter of if, it's just when. Yeah. Yeah. We know physicality, I mean, amazing athlete, but her emotional maturity really stands out to me. Youngest American to win a title in the WTA since 1991 as a lucky loser in Linz. The coronavirus outbreak resulted in the shutdown of many events throughout the world. On March 12th, the WTA released an official statement on the upcoming schedule, including the cancellation of the Miami Open and Charleston events. Here now is Tracy Austin, Paul Anacone, and Steve Weissman discussing the WTA's announcement on the TC Live podcast. The WTA chairman and CEO Steve Simon issuing this statement due to safety and health concerns surrounding the coronavirus, as well as the travel restrictions imposed on entering the United States from Europe, the Miami Open and Volvo Car Open in Charleston will not be held at this time. Also, the WTA will make a decision in the week ahead regarding the European clay court season. So the WTA has not made a decision regarding the European clay court season. That means they are not following the lead of what the ATP has already issued. Steve Weissman, Tracy Austin, Paul Anacone with you live here in our studios from Los Angeles. What do you make of the news that the WTA not following the lead of the ATP here? Well, I just read a, another quote from somebody from the WTA and said they're just not ready at this time to cancel it for the six weeks. They clearly want uh, within the next week to have some more discussions and make that decision. Um, you know, I'm fine with that. I think the players now know that at least they have these five or six weeks that it, it's throughout Charleston that they will not be playing. Yeah, and the big thing is to, look, everyone's got their different policies and their different constituencies to deal with. But as Tracy mentioned, if the players and tournaments know they've got a certain window, whatever that window is, they can go about their business. And for a longer term, right now, it's just kind of information gathering. Yeah, so once again, we've talked about this with the sport of tennis. There are many governing bodies. The ATP this morning says no tennis for six weeks. That goes through Barcelona. So April 27th would be the earliest. The ITF saying no tennis until at least April 20th. And the WTA now saying Charleston, which would have ended on Sunday, April 12th. So the 13th potentially would be the first day for the WTA to return We've got different weeks for all three governing bodies. You know, I think at this point, we've got to give everybody a little bit of a break now that we know at least it's extended break um, because this is a fluid situation. We've never dealt with anything like this in all of sports. When you have all these sports being postponed, suspended, canceled, now it looks like the NC2As. Um, That's we'll done. March Madness March will Madness. not happen. I just talked to my son who goes to USC. said no more pr practice for the rest of the year. They cannot practice together. Uh, it's just devastating news. Um, obviously, health and safety first and foremost. But this has all come so quickly. When you think today's Thursday, and it was only Sunday that Indian Wells was canceled, and that was the tipping point for the domino effect for all of these other things to happen. It's uh, just uncertain times and a lot of anxiety because of it. Yeah, and Tracy mentioned it. I mean, health first, right? And, and so many people beyond sports being impacted um, and the livelihoods of so many people around the world other than just athletes. But I, I think there's bigger questions that have to be answered. And hopefully we've got uh, our smartest people and the most uh, 
well-advised people in the science industry just to figure out the best way to combat this. And this is a, this is a, a step that needed to be taken. Um, and, and we'll see, fingers crossed, that things go in the right direction. I think you make a great point because it was on Saturday that we thought Indian Wells was still going to be played. Even on Sunday, a lot of people thought that that wasn't the right decision to cancel Indian Wells. Now we're seeing canceled for a month, five weeks, six weeks, the, the NBA season being postponed, the NHL season being postponed, Major League Baseball now postponing at least two weeks into its regular season. And March Madness, for the first time in history, mm. canceled. Mar this is March Sadness, really. I mean, I think, it was, I think it was yesterday, uh, that last hour. It was about 5 or 6 o'clock. There was one hour where Trump imposed the travel ban. And then you had the basketball player, Rudy Gobert, Gobert who had it. Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, all of a sudden, they came up with the coronavirus in Australia. I think it just became a lot more, and then the NBA was postponed. It just became a lot more real to people that this was global. It was affecting people that we know. Before that, I didn't really know anybody. Not that I know Tom Hanks, but, you know, I, it's really it changed so much in the last 24 to 48 hours. Yeah, you know, the reality check, it's a harsh one at times, but, you know, you deal with the facts and you figure out. Now what we're trying to do is mitigate it, right? We're trying to make sure we do the best job we can so that it doesn't escalate and so that our healthcare systems don't get over overflown. And, and, you know, look, there's a lot of good, smart people that are giving some good advice and just make sure that all of us yeah. take, take the advice of the experts and not necessarily listen to all the opinions that every single individual has on every social media platform. No tennis, that's a fact, till at least mid-April. We will keep you posted on the latest developments right here on Tennis Channel and online, tennis.com, tennischannel.com. Thank you for listening to this week's TC Live podcast. And a reminder that you can find every episode of the show on the Tennis Podcast Network on tennis.com and all your podcast platforms. We stay safe and take every necessary precaution to remain healthy. We'll get through this together, and hopefully the game is best. We'll be back on the court soon. I'm Mitch Michaels, and this was the Tennis Channel Live podcast.